So I guess what I'm thinking about as I develop these relationships and connections with these teachers is knowing when to, because I feel like sometimes the assessment piece is maybe where we should be looking and maybe that's not where they're at yet. And so I know if they're not there yet. In another one of our Where Are They Now episodes, we chat with Kirsten Dick, who has a position where she's teaching part-time and math coaching part-time. We chatted with Kirsten way back in episode number nine about intentionality and learning goals. In this episode, we hear from Kirsten and how she's made progress on her goals since we last spoke. Stick around and you'll learn how she's adapted the thinking classroom to further student learning, how she's focused on making the connection and consolidation stage of her lessons a priority, and how she's applying coaching techniques to incrementally nudge her teachers down a path towards a thinking classroom. Let's go! Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce from TapIntoTeenMinds.com. And I'm John Orr from MrOrr-IsAGeek.com. We are two math teachers who together... With you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. John, we are at episode 74, almost, almost three-fourths of the way to 100 episodes with a Where Are They Now episode and a math mentoring moment with our friend Kirsten Dick. Are you ready to dive in? Of course, Kyle, of course. And as always, we are super excited to bring you another episode. This one's a great one. It's another one in our Where Are They Now episode. So it's great to chat with Kirsten one more time. Uh, But Kyle, before we get there, do you know what is fantastic? I have no idea what's fantastic. John, tell me. Is when I uh, I queue up my phone and I go to a podcast app and I see another five-star rating from the Math Moment Maker community. They are the best. You know, the Math Moment Maker community people are just awesome. Awesome, awesome, John. And I see, actually, now that you've pointed me in this direction, I see a five-star rating and review from Escobob that says, thank you, thank you so much. I've been teaching over 30 years. Wow, hat tip to that one right there, Escobob. Bob's been teaching for over 30 years and still struggling with some of the concerns discussed by you and your guests. And John, you know what? That just reminds me that we're always on a learning journey and clearly this individual is as well. It feels good to know that I'm not alone. My memorable math moments from middle school were mostly negative, so I am very focused on creating positive experiences for my students. In a recent episode, you talked about three-act math tasks. I love the taco cart by Dan Meyer, in which, thanks to you guys, I will use as an intro to the Pythagorean theorem instead of my midway task. Wow, John, it sounds an awful lot like how we used to do things, right? Midway or at the end of a unit. Now he's starting at the beginning. That's awesome. He finishes up saying thanks again and keep the episodes coming. Hashtag better together. I agree that reflection may keep me up at night, but it also keeps me fresh and young. Your podcast provides me much food for thought and I appreciate it. That's from Escabob. Thanks a ton. Wow. Yeah. Thanks so much, Escabob. And thanks to the Math Moment Maker community. 
who are taking the time to write reviews and give us those five-star ratings. They're helping us reach more ears around the globe. So thanks so much. So go ahead. What are you waiting for? It only takes a minute to fire us an honest rating and review. Also, we have lots of goodies to share with you, and it all revolves around the Make Math Moments Academy. Right now, for a limited time, we have a 30-day free teacher license available to any math moment maker from around the world to access our Academy professional development courses, including our courses on spiraling, assessment, math tech tools, and even our latest course on the fundamentals of mathematics. These self-paced courses are jam-packed with videos and action items to get you reflecting and growing just like Escobob has shared in his review today with your math content knowledge and pedagogical practice. Also, our monthly Q&A web calls have become weekly lately with the current COVID-19 situation and emergency remote learning in full effect around the world. All Academy members can join live like the over 80 members we had in our last Q&A call. And all of the replays for those episodes or those calls are posted inside the Academy to view later. Or maybe you want to dive into any of the over 20 virtual summit sessions that we hosted back in November. They were freely available on a weekend in November, but maybe you didn't have some time to fit them all in. Well, the replays are up inside the Academy also. And maybe most importantly, given our current remote situation, our Make Math Moments problem-based tasks and full units of study with teacher guides are available for you to access. Plus, you can now post a link to the task in your learning management platform so students can still be sparked despite the very asynchronous learning situation we find ourselves in. Awesome. Get on in before it goes away like so many people have around the world. MakeMathMoments.com forward slash trial. That's MakeMathMoments.com forward slash trial. Hey there, Kirsten. Welcome back to the show. You, my friend, are out in Saskatchewan, and you are our first guest to welcome back for a check-in on our Math Mentoring Moments episode. How are things going on your side of the country? Hey, guys. Things are going very well. Very exciting things happening in math out here. Awesome. Awesome. You know, who would have thought you were on episode number nine and now we're 71 episodes later or, or, who would have thought? or like 70 weeks later, which is like just mind boggling. Sounds like a math problem, right, Kyle? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If, uh, exactly. Last time we spoke, uh, I think you were just getting kind of back into the groove in the middle school math classroom because, you know, you had spent some time in language arts and in a few other areas. And when we were chatting in that last episode, you were in the process of taking what we perceived to be a deep dive in all kinds of amazing things that took John and I years before we even came across them. And <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like you just didn't waste any time. You were diving into these innovative resources like three-act math tasks, estimation 180. You mentioned uh, which one doesn't belong and all kinds of other great, wonderful things for the classroom. How's things going now? Like based on where you were then and where you are now, how are you feeling? I still love it. I have so much fun. I have the best job and it's great. I'm very excited to have 
kind of, after having chatted with you, made a few more tweaks in some of the things that I was doing in my classroom. And I feel like we're rolling along and have some kids having fun, but they're engaged, not just engaged in the activity, but engaged in the math and in the sense making. So I'm really pleased with how things are going. Awesome. Awesome. You know, back then at the time, you felt that there was a lot there and there was there, all those resources were there and you were sort of trying to hone in on what to use and when and when how to use that and, and how to ensure those kids were making sense of the math. So that's good to hear that you've progressed there or modified a little bit there. And your biggest takeaway back then was like gaining that confidence that you were trying to shift away from that completely traditional model where it was teacher-centered to a more kind of student-centered approach. So how is it going? Like fill us in on some details of like thinking about that big takeaway and then fill us in on the story this year. Just give us a, a few examples of some of those successes. Okay. So at the time that we're recording this now, it's been almost exactly a year since that episode aired. And a year ago, our school division was very fortunate to have Peter Lilliadal come out and do his thing, his workshops mm-hmm. with our staff. <laughs> so that was the, for me, I half jokingly say that, like, I've been using big whiteboards to have kids working in groups already, but I moved from horizontal whiteboards to vertical whiteboards, the vertical non-permanent mm-hmm. surfaces. Mm-hmm. So that was one of my big shifts. And I had been using random grouping very frequently, but I have now switched to random grouping every single day. So every time the kids come into my room, we switch the group. So those were mm-hmm. two of my big takeaways from Peter Lilliadal, because the math feels so different compared to traditional classroom when you experience the thinking classroom framework that I feel like that's kind of what I was trying to pull together. I'd had some experience with like having read through the five practices book, but I had all these other things that I was doing and that I liked and I felt like the students were engaged with. And I was trying to figure out how to mesh all of that together. And I feel like now a year later, we're kind of on a roll with that. And so for sure, part of that story was having the conversation with you gentlemen a year ago and the big takeaway one of the big takeaways was that intentionality piece, especially with the consolidation and the connections at the end. And I think Mm -hmm. that was a big shift in my thinking that maybe the students would not even perceive as a shift, but just for me knowing not only the anticipating piece, because I felt like I was doing as best as I could at the time with my understanding of the five practices, but being able now to really make sure that that consolidation piece is really solid and does it connect to those big mathematical ideas. And so now that I feel like I'm not only just covering the required aspects of the curriculum and the outcomes that I'm expected to teach, but those big ideas of math. So I feel like that's kind of where I am now. And I feel much more comfortable than I did a year ago. Why am I choosing the tasks that I'm choosing? Not just because they're fun, but because the students will come away with some math at the end of it. That's fantastic. And, you know, I heard a lot of big ideas there. So I'm going to roll us back here just so that we can dive just a bit deeper to kind of paint that picture. And I remember actually, I recently re-listened to episode number nine because, (laughs) you know, we've been in touch quite a bit on Twitter and I know that we had the opportunity to bump into you at OAME. It was great to see, but then when I went back and listened to the episode, it's crazy how, you know, over time, just the changes that are happening, you don't realize they're happening until you go back and you kind of look at that snapshot from way back then. I remember you talking about Peter's work in that episode. And now it seems like you've sort of gone full steam ahead. Can you help us for someone who's listening? 
Maybe they listened to episode 21 where we brought Peter on to the show and they heard about random grouping and vertical non-permanent surfaces. Now you're saying you're doing this every single day. And one of the biggest things that I, we hear teachers say is when they try something new, initially kids don't always like, mm-hmm. they're usually not feeling so comfortable with mm-hmm. it, right? Like you kind of like the routine. It's like, I don't feel comfortable now that we're changing things. So can you give us a little bit of an inside look as to how did you get this like consistency going with random grouping and vertical non-permanent surfaces? And maybe what advice could you give to somebody else who's listening, <laughs> who maybe has wanted to do this okay. or has tried to do this, but they haven't been able to sort of get consistent with it? What would you say? Okay, so I think for me and my classroom, because I was already using random groups sometimes and we were using the big whiteboards and working in groups at those whiteboards, sometimes it was less of a shift for me than it might be for some people, depending on how their classroom is already set up. And Peter, when he talks about his thinking classroom and the framework, that those first three things of having the random groups on a regular basis, having something non-permanent for the students to work on, and then having that really great task, the rich task, low floor, high ceiling, it's got some big mathematical ideas behind it. Once you move past the culture building in the beginning of the year, that those are those three things that if you you can shift that and implement those things, that that will put you well on the way. And so I feel like for me, it was a bit of a less of a shift than it perhaps might be for other teachers because I was already doing some of those things, just not necessarily in the way that Peter has designed it within his framework. So I think for those people who are trying to implement something like this, I've heard Peter say, I think it was maybe at the end of your summit when he in the chat was saying, if he had to give up all of the 14 things and could only keep one, he would keep those visibly random groups just Mm -hmm. because so much of the importance of that culture building in the classroom and being able to support the mathematical discourse and having the students being able to work and engage with each other. So that's something that I've really tried to ensure that I do all of the time because that's one of those things that the students will definitely kind of complain about at the beginning of the year. Like, do we really have to switch groups again today? Can I not sit with my friends today? And so I also think for me, part of the consistency piece, which comes back to our conversation a year ago, was not knowing like, do I start with a warm up or do I start with a task or how do I know how to structure my classroom? And there are times that we get into a task and This comes back again to me being able to anticipate a little bit of what the students might do. If I know the task is going to take us a large chunk of the time, we might do that first and do what I used to do as a warm-up at the end of the class. Yeah, so that the time-to-task piece has been an important thing for me, that I want the kids doing math kind of as soon as they walk into the classroom. And so whether that looks like something like a rich task or whether that looks like an estimistry or whether it looks like an estimation 180 or whatever it is that I'm choosing to do, that I'm intentional about what we're doing and why we're doing it and where I've placed that within my one hour classroom block time. Right. Like Kyle said before, is you've hit a lot of nails there right there too. And I think that big takeaway for you was that intentionality back then. And, and it sounds like you making a, a strong effort to do that. And I think that's awesome. And I'm really glad that you pointed out random groupings, invisible non-permanent services. 
they sound like they're big changes in your classroom, but they're so doable. They're so mm-hmm. doable to, if you're going to be like, I'm going to change the way my class works because I want my kids to think, which is what we want to do. Like, how do yeah. you do that? It's easy to tell someone and it's easy to implement that random grouping because it changes the dynamic of your room. It changes the social things where kids sit. It, it all of a sudden puts everybody yes. on a playing field. And then the non-permanent services just opens the door to so much discussion. And it's something we can all do. Like, just get some cards and randomize the groups. Do it from day one. And you know, if you're not at day one, do it from wherever you are right now yeah. and then just stick to it. I think it's so important for that. And I'm glad that you pointed that out. And I'm really glad that you pointed out that Peter had said, like, if there's something you can do, all these 14 things, let's just do these two or let's just do these one. And because if you do those one, it's like putting your one foot in front of the other. The other things will come. And all of a sudden, those small little structural changes of how things work are going to all of a sudden lead to different questioning techniques that you might employ, different tasks that you're going to start, how you structure those lessons are going to change because of those small little changes. So I think- and, uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and I think part of one of those changes that you see is the students' willingness to engage with each other in those mathematical conversations that mm-hmm. when they start to, and I'm not sure that they would use that same language, but that you feel safe with one another, that here's our classroom mm-hmm. community for math, that we're trying to build this community of learners together. And all of those behind the scenes moves that they don't see, but that we see the benefit in the end. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12, setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. That's fantastic. And John, I really appreciate how you've kind of broken that down. And it reminds me of a book that we've mentioned on the podcast mm-hmm. a number of times, Atomic Habits, right? Is like break yep. it down into the smallest possible pieces that you can And just by doing those small little pieces, it puts you so much closer to those bigger ideas. And I Mm -hmm. think we often go about it the other way around, right? We think about like, oh my gosh, there's so many things I want to change. And, you know, it's like, no, just pick that one, that two things that are just as easy as we can to get going. And, you know, the other piece there that you had mentioned, Kirsten, was this idea of the consolidation. And I know 
for us, I would say it was one of the biggest struggles that I had. And, and I think for me, it was mostly ignorance. Like I just didn't know what to do in the consolidation. Like I think I thought I did at the time, but knowing what I know now, I look back and think, wow, I did not consolidate very well for much of my career. And even now it's like, I almost put a little bit too much pressure on myself because I'm like, okay, how am I going to consolidate this? How am I going to bring mm-hmm. out those big ideas or the big idea for that lesson? Because we yes. can't consolidate everything. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this. Like, If you were to go back and compare and contrast sort of like where you were a year ago versus where you are now, and I'm going to just go ahead and just take a guess and say, not suggesting that you are consolidating perfectly. I don't think we'll ever get to that place, (laughs) but you know, you're feeling like you have a little more confidence in that area. And I'm wondering what's changed and I guess, what did you do to help you build your expertise in that area or at least get a little further ahead in that area? Oh, that's a tough question. I think there's a combination of things. I know that I am guilty of, oh, we're having so much fun with this task or whatever it is that we're doing, or maybe we've decided to, I want to make sure that we've got time to play a game for the last few minutes of a mathematical game for the last few minutes of class that I might forget to make sure that I block that time. So that's been a piece because I know we always say, oh yeah, we've got exit tickets or however we're going to pull some things together. We'll make sure we leave time for that. But I know that I have to be intentional about that because otherwise I will get distracted by how much fun we're having (laughs) in the classroom. So that would be one part of it. And then it also comes down to sitting down when I'm thinking about the lesson. And this does get much easier and faster with time because I think in the beginning that's one thing that for all of us teachers that we're all just trying to do our best with limited time that we think oh yeah I'll just figure that out when I get there but to really think what is it that I want the students to pull out of the math today what are these connections that I want to make sure I help bring to light so that I know where we're going tomorrow and that I think that that has really been essential for me and it It doesn't take as much time anymore because I'm trying to do it more and more frequently, but just really thinking about what are those mathematical ideas that I want to make sure we've got. One of my mentors used the term, and perhaps you've heard it or used it yourselves, the mathematical legs. What are the things that are going to literally carry us from one day to the next? So being able to think about those parts of the lesson. So what is it that I'm pulling out? Because as you said, John, there are so many things sometimes that when we look around the room at all of this wonderful math that's on the whiteboard, but I have to know in advance what I'm looking for because we can go off on a great tangent, math pun intended, about things, or we Mm -hmm. can stick with, here's what I really want to make sure we get to today. Here's what needs to maybe go in your notes or on our anchor chart or whatever it is. So that's been part of the practice for me is making sure I have that thought out and then putting that time in to make sure that it happens in the class. So it's not that the bell goes with, oh, shoot, like we'll talk about it tomorrow. Right. Right. Yeah. That's great that you've pointed that out. And, you know, one of the big things that I'm always thinking about and always trying to modify, and it's also a big question that a lot of listeners have and a lot of teachers who are trying to go to teach through problems and teach through tasks is where practice fits into that, right? It's like, I've got my one hour class or my 75 minute class, and I'm going to maybe do the warm up like you suggested at the beginning or maybe at the end, but I'm going to do my chunk of task 
how have you tried to build in that procedural fluency this year since before and now? And how is that going for you? And I know it's a journey for everybody. It's like, where does it fit in? Like, do we have days where we just practice or are we not? I'm curious. I always want to know what other teachers are doing <laughs> myself. So yeah, I think it's a combination of things. There are some days that when we get into a task that we might, and I teach middle years. So the mm-hmm. intention span of some of those kids in grade seven, eight, nine is a little bit longer than perhaps some younger students. So we might, and with we have a one hour periods be within the task for a good 40, 45 minutes sometimes, sometime for some consolidation, pull together our notes and our thinking, maybe a little exit slip at the end. So then the next day, there might be something shorter that we do so that those check your understanding questions or the practice that we're doing maybe looks a little bit different. So it doesn't mean I've totally thrown out the textbook. There's some great questions in there. It doesn't mean that we don't ever work through questions on a worksheet, but it might look different than it would have looked when I was teaching math 15 years ago. It will maybe look like we're working together in groups on things. Maybe we're putting some answers up from some questions around the room on the whiteboards and we're going to do a gallery walk with them. Maybe we're taking some textbook questions, we're turning them into two truths and a lie with the textbook questions or worksheets, or maybe we're doing some kind of, I don't call it speed dating, I call it speed mathing in my room Mm -hmm. where we've like create questions (laughs) for each other. And so I still feel like that it's important to be able to build in that practice time and the procedural fluency. But I think it maybe looks different than it doesn't look like kids sitting in rows working silently all the time. Right. All those purposeful practice tasks, those routines that you said are great. And I'm really glad that you've pointed that out here to our listeners and, and to us. And is because like that practice time doesn't have to be sit in rows, like you just mm-hmm. said. It can be engaging. It can be exciting. It can be fun to do those things. And I think you've outlined lots of different techniques there that if you are listening at home and uh, you need to hit the rewind button on that, do it again and (laughs) listen to those last minute or last 30 seconds uh, and then write down all the things that uh, Kirsten just said about two truths and a lie and speed dating (laughs) and some of those other routines. So check those out. Those are great practice structures. Yeah. uh, And then I do do think it's also valuable that we don't forget some students need that individual think time as well, Mm -hmm. right? So always looking for that balance between the group time and the math talk in the classroom, but also giving that individual time to think and the individual time to practice as well. Mm -hmm. So making sure that there's a balance there. Yeah, it's so easy to go out of balance, right? You just go way too hard in any one direction. And some people, it's like it's all independent work or it's all group work. And Mm -hmm. really finding that balance, I think it is a struggle. I'd like to go to thinking about more recent times. And I know, and I'm hoping you'll share with our listeners, your role has changed slightly since the last time people got to learn a little bit about you. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about that and sort of what's going on there. And then if we can kind of move on to maybe your current problems of practice that you're working on, or at least maybe your goals (laughs) for where you are now and what you're hoping to kind of continue moving towards as we see through the remainder of this particular school year? Okay, so the provincial ministry here in Saskatchewan has set some goals for education, and it's not necessarily based on standardized testing or anything, but they have goals for graduation rates and early learning and literacy, literacy as a whole, and numeracy as a whole. So our division last year earmarked some money to bring or to support teachers in those areas of early learning, First Nations, Métis graduation rates, numeracy and literacy. So myself and another colleague now 
work half time in our own classrooms and then half time we get to support other teachers around the division in the area of numeracy. So we have a very convoluted title based on our school division, but basically it's like a math coach. So in the mornings I teach and in the afternoons I get to travel around the division and get to be in other teachers' classrooms. So I mostly support K to eight, nine-ish and my colleague supports kind of eight, nine-ish to 12-ish. So it's so much fun and I love it so much because I get to see so many fantastic teachers. I feel really, really fortunate. Yeah, uh, it sounds a lot like Kyle's role. Uh, he had, you know, a couple of years ago, right, Kyle, where you were a part-time teacher, part-time coach. and Yeah, I'm curious, before we kind of dive into what you're kind of mm-hmm. working on, what your goals are, like, how are you finding just in general, like you said, traveling around the division, do you mean by division, you mean like your district or your, oh, yes. your school board? Yeah, so in, so in how far are you there. driving? Well, it depends on the day. But our school division is the division described like as a giant donut around Saskatoon. So it's about 200 kilometers from one end to the other. So some days are more travel days than others. And some days we use technology to connect. But the goal of this role is to do that side-by-side learning with teachers. So as much as possible, we are in the classrooms with them or meeting with them in their space and hearing about how things are going with them. So, yeah, so there's some travel involved, but I get to see lots of different classrooms around our school division district area. So it's great. Awesome. Awesome. So we'd love to hash out stuff with you here for the next little bit. So what's on your mind lately? What can we narrow down and have a chat about? I feel like I'm kind of in the groove with lots of things in my own classroom and with this new role because it is new to our division we haven't had this kind of support in this way for a few years now that just knowing that teachers really are trying to do their best as these coaches for literacy or numeracy or wherever the areas that we're working in to make sure that it really feels like an authentic way to connect with the teachers and support them and not that we're just going to roll in and model a lesson and then roll out and never be seen again, that we really Mm want to make sure that we are connecting with those teachers in a way that is useful for them and meeting them where they're at. Because I know that if I rolled in, put my white books up on the wall and handed out some markers and did some playing cards, that some teachers would never want to have me back in their classroom again. That's not where they are in their teaching journey. So I've really been thinking about what are the pedagogical pieces that are important in a math classroom? What are some of those math pieces that are important and how do we meld those things together so that I can be a really great support for those teachers? Because we're all on a journey to do the best for our students. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what I'm hearing is you're definitely cluing in to something that I don't think I clued into when I started that role. As John mentioned, I was doing kind of like a halftime teaching, halftime coaching role. Mm -hmm. And I kind of came in there and was sort of oblivious to the fact that I had my experience based on me loving staying up late every night and looking at blogs and trying new things and doing all these things. And I just sort of assumed that everyone else was doing that. And Mm -hmm. it really took me a while to really realize that everyone is different. Everyone's in such a different place. Some people are in places where who knows what's going on in their home lives. You know, they may be a single parent raising three children, or they might have to take care of their parents, or, you know, they have all these other things, going, or they just mm-hmm. may not be as big of a math geek as I am, right? And right. <laughs> yeah. They're watching baseball. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
great to know that you have that awareness and obviously that's going to serve you well. I'm wondering just to kind of paint us a bit of a clearer picture in terms of like how many different teachers would you say are you seeing consistently? And and I know that's kind of a hard question, I'm sure, because if it's anything like my role, um, <laughs> it can definitely change. But do you find that you have some, I guess, consistent or a handful of consistent teachers that you're able to work with in a reasonable amount of time where you get to kind of check in and build that relationship with? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Yes, in some senses, for sure, that's how it works. I'm really appreciative of the fact that my school division itself, when they set up this role, has made it very much about the teacher requesting support. So it's not a case of a supervisor or administrator or principal saying, hey, Kirsten, come work with so-and-so because we know that they need help with such and such. That is not happening at all. It is all teacher initiated from their end and they phone or they email and say, hey, I've been thinking about this and is there a way you can support me? or in conjunction if there are some learning leaders in their building that we can make the connection that way. So I'm really grateful for that because it does mean that once I get to school and work with the teacher that we can sit down and really find out what it is that's on their mind and what are some of their challenges or what are some of the things that they're thinking about or have heard about that they want to try. So mm-hmm. I'd say for the most part right now it kind of is working that I might be with a teacher kind of three or four times that we might have a chance to meet and talk about kind of maybe something they'd like to do or see or try. I might model a short warm-up or I might co-teach something with them or they might do part of the lesson and I might do part of the consolidation or lots of different combinations of that. They might invite some of their colleagues in so that we can all be able to debrief after how that works. So I would say for the most part, we're kind of at three to five times that I might get to have that opportunity to come in and work with them. So I'm really grateful for that. It's not a one and done for sure. And then after they kind of are on their way with something that I can hopefully leave them for a couple of months, check back in later. And then in the meantime, there are always new requests coming in of teachers who would like support or just the chance to have a conversation. It sounds like there's a lot of great things going on over there. You've kind of molded the program the way I think you think makes sense uh, to give as many teachers as help that they need. Kirsten, is there any specific area that's been on your mind lately that you're trying to make movements or shifts in that we can narrow down or help you with here? What's the real challenge here? So I think that when I think about these teachers and the requests that they're making, that I do know that they have been very honest and often vulnerable, especially, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but sometimes elementary school teachers are less comfortable with the content area of math than perhaps, say, a high school math teacher might be. 
So I feel like I am in a very lucky and fortunate position to be able to work with some of those teachers, even to help build their confidence. So I guess what I'm thinking about as I develop these relationships and connections with these teachers is knowing when to, because I feel like sometimes the assessment piece is maybe where we should be looking and maybe that's not where they're at yet. And so I know if they're not there yet, I can only shift their thinking Mm -hmm. or push so far, but sometimes I think it can only be about what warm up routine are we going to do, but maybe being able to think more about what will the students gain if we try to implement this warm-up and how will you know so what are those formative and summative assessment pieces but sometimes I feel like that's so overwhelming for teachers Mm. that it's hard for me to know how to gauge where to nudge gotcha so let me just restate for a moment so one thing I'm hearing is that you're helping teachers you come in you give them ideas suggestions great activities to try in the classroom and meet them where they are but you want to steer them in on a particular path, kind of like the way we do with our students, right? Like, so if you think about when I'm teaching, say, proportions or linear relations, you know the path that the student should be taking to go from where they are to where they need to be. And when we're doing that at the walls and we're listening to what they say, you can envision where they are on the path so that you can push them in the right way. You're doing that with your teachers. You know where they need to be, you know where they are, but it sounds like you're wondering, how do I get them to move on the path so that it's consistent, but also so I don't like offend anybody and also like get them so that when I come back, they've tried something new. Does that sound right? Am I hitting what you're saying or am I off? No, no, I think that's pretty much it because I do want to come in as a side-by-side learner. I learn just as much from being in other teachers' classrooms as I do being in my own and having the chance to reflect on some of those things that we are trying. And so, yes, just knowing that especially those teachers that have come from that vulnerable position, maybe they're new to teaching or they're new to teaching math or it's a new grade level for them, that... I guess maybe because I can kind of see that big picture, but I also know I have limited time with them. So being mm-hmm. able to just finesse whatever, I don't know if stance is the right word, like how much is the coaching and how much is the nudging and, and just really, because I know when I think back to the analogy you've spoken about before from, I think it's the Heath brothers, like the person on the elephant and the clearing the path. Right. So I don't want to just yeah. hand them a file full of stuff and say, here, here you go. Here's 10 new warmups you can try next week. Because first of all, that's going to be overwhelming. And second of all, sometimes you need to kind of know how some things work to really implement it. Or you'll try once and be like, yeah, that was a problem. I'm not doing that again. But also knowing that in the long run, what is going to make the most difference for their students because that's why we're here is to help the students learn the math so yeah so I guess that's kind of it is knowing if I do have limited time because I won't likely have the chance to work with that teacher necessarily for an entire year or for two years because there are over 40 schools in the division and a lot of teachers in all of those buildings I'm not going to get to everyone so what is that kind of impact that I can have that will still be enough so that it impacts the students in the long run It sounds like you're trying to find this balance again. We mentioned balance Mm -hmm. earlier between when to nudge, when to coach, when to maybe sit back a little bit and let things kind of ride. Because like you'd said, you don't want to come across as overwhelming or overwhelm a teacher. You also don't want to create any sort of like, let's call it like a conflict or maybe a misalignment between beliefs. So that's definitely a challenge. And something that 
I think is really easy for us to miss when we're in the role of a coach or a knowledgeable other in the room where you're going in and you're working with a teacher is not only do you have all the same jobs that you have when you're working with your own class, but now you have like another class to worry about, which is the teacher, right? It's a one person class, but now you're thinking about like when I'm working with this teacher, I'm, or with these students, I'm listening to the students to try to figure out where I need to nudge those students. But at the same time, I'm trying to observe where the teacher is so I can figure out what's my next move with the teacher. And I think your head is in definitely in the right place. And I definitely am the type of person that I lean on the side of caution versus going too aggressive because yes, I would yeah. much rather mm-hmm. go a little softer and build a deeper relationship. Because at the end of the day, when you try to push even just a little bit too hard, it can create a major setback. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you've got that mindset in the right place. And I know the hardest part is that we always want things to move faster than they are. And this happens in the classroom, right? Every teacher's feeling the exact same way with their students. They're like, I want to move this student along from skip counting to multiplying and make those known facts. But that student just isn't there yet. So is there anything that you've done so far and that you've had maybe a little bit of success with? Because clearly you've got this idea in your mind and it's resonating with me. I'm aligning, I'm connecting with it. Is there anything like maybe almost like a move you do or something you do to almost maybe remind yourself that, oh, maybe I need to take a step back for a moment here and not push too hard or try to rethink what you're about to say or how you're going to go about something? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you're using that you feel like is working for you? Well, I'll come back to the book that you folks recommended, the coaching habit one with all those good questions and that that I know you model these mentoring calls after, (laughs) that absolutely that is a We should have never gave that away. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh, they're pulling a coaching move on us. Yes. (laughs) But I do think that starting with the question of the what's on your mind, but also digging in a little bit to see if I can figure out what do the teachers like hold dear or what are their beliefs about what math should be for them. Like if they could have the perfect mm-hmm. classroom or if they could imagine that they had whatever budget or what would their math classroom look like, what would be some things that they would see, what would be some things that they would be hearing. And from there that really helps guide the conversation mm-hmm. because I already know what's important to them. So that's something that for me has been somewhat useful, not somewhat useful, very useful because I get to know a little bit more about those teachers and what they think. And it's really interesting how some teachers will say, well, I'm not a math person, but I would never say that in front of my students. And so I know right then and there that there are certain things that we might want to talk about before we even get into how their classroom is structured. So I think that's part of it, just really building that trust because like I said, some of these teachers, because it has to be their own decision to connect with Mm -hmm. us as facilitators, that they have to be willing to kind of put themselves out there and on the line, I really want to be supportive of that. So being able to ask them kind of where are they at And does that line up with what they would like to see in their maybe dream math class? Yeah, that's great. And that's actually how Kyle and I have had a lot of success when we go out to workshops with 
districts and other groups or at conferences. And also we've worked with lots of challenging teachers who are resistant to change. And that's where our most success is, is when we ask the teachers like exactly what you've just said is, is what do you want your math class to look mm-hmm. like? What do you think is important for learning math? And also what's big stumbling blocks are there for kids? Like what's a big challenge for you? And then when they say kids are bad at problem solving, or I want math class to look like this, or we've even used the phrase that we use here on the podcast is like, what do you want your math class to look like in five years? Or what do you want kids to remember yes. in five years? When they answer those questions, they have those underlying struggles. You can hear them and everything you do as a coach can help address those. And so when a teacher says, you know, problem solving, my kids are just not very good at word problems. And then everything you do to help them is now to address that. And then they think they're listening to what my problem is and they're giving me mm-hmm. suggestions on how to help it. And it's, and everything is geared towards that. And then all the strategies that you've built up and you're ready to share them with, and you're like, yes, now I have a window <laughs> to like yeah. give them the nudge to push them down the path that we want to move them towards. And it's really because they said they wanted to go there. So it mm-hmm. sounds like you're doing exactly what Kyle and I would do too. And you know, something else too, that kind of just popped into my mind as well is, is again, and I heard it in what you just said, John, and I know I'm hearing in what Kirsten's saying is just this idea of coming back to not only the goals for like what we want five years from now, but even like in today's lesson. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. having those overarching goals is really important, but oftentimes when we run into these scenarios where we're like, I want to nudge just a little bit. And it's like, we almost try to find subtle ways to nudge. And then I wonder if that's even helpful anyway. It's almost like if we pause and we say, okay, today we're working on integers And maybe right now, the way the teacher's doing it is the way we were all taught, which is very (laughs) procedural and very just like follow these rules. And at the end of the day, if we stay more curious, just like the coaching habit book would tell us, if we stay more curious and say like, so why is integers important? And I find that oftentimes it comes down to asking why we're doing what we're Mm -hmm. doing in the first place, because a lot of it just comes down to habit what's easy, what we believe to be the way to do things. But then at the end of the day, if we're talking about trying to shift things from, let's say, teaching procedurally to teaching more from a conceptual standpoint, at the end of the day, it's like, why are we doing integers anyway? Like, is it just to memorize these rules? Because if that's the case, then what's the point? Is that really all that helpful? But if I'm doing it from a conceptual standpoint, to me, it just seems so much easier for us to land on this idea of like resiliency, perseverance, problem Mm -hmm. solving, even curiosity, right? Because it's like, Mm -hmm. why does this work? What's going on here? Like, why does every time this is happening, this result is happening and these rules are being created? So, you know, it sounds like you've got all the right tools in your tool belt. And I think one of the hardest ones for us to build and and to kind of gain some control over is this patience idea, right? And I mean, (laughs) we we can talk about this all day and all these great ideas we have. But at the end of the day, if I don't have that patience and that ability to just kind of pause for a moment and then ask why, I tend to put myself into, you know, put my foot in my mouth or, you know, nudge a little too hard or just bump into these scenarios that I could have avoided had I paused, been a little more patient, and then just ask that why question. So I'm wondering, you know, if we start wrapping things up here and get 
into your mind, like where's your mind at right now based on this conversation and, and what you might do yeah. next? So I'm making lots of connections to just even my own classroom, thinking about when I, coming back to the beginning of our conversation, think about that consolidation piece, that I have that why in my mind now. And that was maybe not always there or not always as clear as it is now that I know where we're going and I know why we're doing this. And the students might not always pick up on that why, but I know why it's there. And so when I'm thinking about working with these teachers, and you were just using the example of the integers and moving from procedurally to conceptually, that that might be something that I can help share with them because that might help clear some of that stuff up for them as well. Or they might be in a place where they're not ready to hear that yet, that they, yeah, so that's what I'm connecting to is, is when is the why that I know for the curriculum and the big ideas for math worth sharing and when is the teacher maybe not ready for that quite yet and that we are still looking at some other things along their teaching journey and pedagogical practice before we move into some of those things. Just knowing, like you said, when to nudge and when to push and when to maybe that that's not the focus quite yet. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So this has been a really great chat this evening here. And if you think back on it, and if I think back on it right now, it's, you know, we're thinking about our, your big takeaway from last time was this intentionality piece. And it sounds like you have made great strides on that in your classroom and also now applying into the coaching role, which is pretty amazing to see. Do you have any kind of specific next steps that you want to share with us before we uh, sign off here and say goodbye? Oh, I think I'm just going to keep learning on my own and connecting with other people via Twitter and reading blogs. And because I'm one of those people that will stay up late at night reading about bad <laughs> things. So I will continue that too. But coming back to kind of how you ended there, Kyle, saying the, the patience piece and knowing that just this is a new job and that all of the us coaches that are working in the division in different areas that we're all just on this journey ourselves too of, of learning how to best do our jobs and so having that patience with those teachers and because I just feel so very very fortunate to be working with so many amazing teachers and seeing the wonderful things that are happening in their classrooms so having the patience to know it's baby steps but in the long run that students mm -hmm. will be impacted which is great awesome awesome, awesome. that's stuff. great to hear well on behalf of the Math Moment Maker community, we are so excited to have Kirsten Dick come back as our first return <laughs> call to it's see how things gentleman. are going. <laughs> oh, yeah. And things are clearly looking very bright in the math world for you. And we're just so proud to be a part of that journey with you. And mm -hmm learning alongside you. So keep up that great work. And I know that this conversation is going to be very, very helpful to so many people out there, especially those who are moving into a role like coaching or consulting where you want to make changes overnight. But at the end of the day, we have to go at the speed of learning. I think that's Graham Fletcher who always says that, you know, yes, we've got to yeah. teach at the speed of learning. And that is what we're trying to do here when we're working with our colleagues as well. So great job there, Kirsten. It's been fantastic to learn alongside you. And we can't wait to see you again, I think coming up at OAME, you'll, we'll see you I there. I will be Maybe there in the spring. Yeah. Or no. I, not at NCTM, well. no, but I will be at OAME in the spring. So thank you so much awesome. for this opportunity. Awesome. It's always, always outstanding to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. Awesome stuff. Thanks so much. Take care. Fantastic. Have a great night. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye.
Well, there you have it. That was Kirsten Dick from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. We're looking forward to checking back with her to see how she's incorporated her big takeaways in a few months or even up to a year. This was another Math Mentoring Moment episode with many more to come where we're going to have a conversation just like we did here today with a member of the Making Math Moments That Matter community, just like you who's working through a challenge and together we'll brainstorm ideas and next steps to help overcome it. If you want to join us on the podcast for an upcoming Math Mentoring Moment episode, just like Kirsten, you can. You just need to apply over at makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. And finally, as we mentioned in the intro, for a limited time, we have that 30-day free teacher license available for any Math Moment maker from around the world who wants to access our Academy Professional Development Courses our monthly but now pretty much weekly web calls and replays, our 25 different hour-long session replays from the 2019 Virtual Summit, and our recently emergency remote learning-friendly MakeMath Moments problem-based tasks. Be sure to get in before it goes away at makemathmoments.com forward slash trial. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash trial. In order to ensure you don't miss out on any new episodes, make sure you slam, smash, body check, pound that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're liking what you're hearing, please share the podcast with a colleague and help us reach a wider audience by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and tweet us your biggest takeaway and tag us at Make Math Moments on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode. 74. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 74. Well, John, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's, it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, and accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. 
after completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.